You're listening to Lola Slider of Forest Piercing. Join me this week as we celebrate 200 episodes of the show, and I interview longtime host and producer Ryan Willett. We're going to be talking a little bit about the show's inception, its history, some of my favorite episodes, and we're going to be learning a little bit more about the man behind the microphone as well. Stay tuned, and if you like the show, well, good, I guess. Thank you guys for listening. Enjoy! Hi everybody, welcome back to the Piercing Wizard podcast. Um, my guest this week is Ryan Willett. Um, you might know Ryan as the host of the Piercing Wizard podcast traditionally, but this week for the 200th episode of the Piercing Wizard podcast, I've asked Ryan if I could interview him for the show. Um, Ryan has agreed and we're going to get into it. Um, Ryan, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Hi. <laughs> I'm, don't, I'm, be, don't be shy. Hi. I'm okay. Ryan Willett. I am the boyfriend of famous Scottish body piercer Lola Slider. Into the microphone, please. And I also am a body piercer. Um, and I'm, I'm usually the host of this show. So to elaborate a little bit as to why we're, we're doing this for this particular episode, um, this is the I'm 200th tired. episode. <laughs> this is the 200th episode of the show. Um, I was actually thinking initially when we talked about doing this that you hadn't been interviewed before, but that's actually not true. You were interviewed uh, by Kale DeFrancesco back in uh, October 2019, episode 133. Mm -hmm. So this isn't actually your first time being interviewed for the show. Um, but this episode is with all these notes, though. Yeah, I have I have a bunch of notes. I think I'm going to spend half the time trying to decipher my own notes. Um, so I really wanted to talk a little bit with you about the podcast itself. Obviously, 200 episodes. It's a bit of a milestone. Um, and am I right in thinking that the show is um, archived or will be archived um, with the piercing archives um, yeah. and retain for historical documentation? Yeah, that was something like I I have like a full like I have like a cloud folder with like in case I die backups. Um, but Paul King reached out to me and was I don't remember when it was. I think it was somewhere around like episode 100. And uh, he said, like, hey, you know, have you ever thought if anything were to happen to you that all this stuff could be gone if you don't have it in not even just like storage but like in an archive that someone else manages and has access to so i don't do it weekly or like with every single new episode but like a handful of times a year i'll i'll just dump episodes into a shared folder that's uh, managed by the the body piercing archive so with all things that involve self-promotion um i think sometimes it's easy when we do something on a regular basis, you know, other piercers might have, you know, blogs or, or other ways that they put out media on a regular basis. There are other piercers with podcasts. And there's always this element there of, you know, self-promotion, like you're doing something for the community, but there's always self-promotion um, in everything that we do, to be honest, as piercers on social media, everyone does it. But going back to the beginning of the podcast, doing a little bit of research into it to prepare for this interview, it's really not hard to see why it's being archived. I think because you're very close to it and I'm you know, very close to you and therefore by proxy very close to the podcast, it's easy to lose sight of that. But going back through the history of the podcast, it really does have like arms and legs and a lot going on for it that go beyond just being this thing that you do. So I actually, um, I got some statistics here that I thought might be of interest to you because I know that you definitely won't have looked into this. Mm. Um, so your first episode was on the 2nd of June, 2017. Uh, that gives you about an average of 40 episodes a year or three episodes a week for the past, or sorry, three episodes a month for the past five years. Um, I also did a little bit of maths and um, 
in the 200 episodes that you've done, roughly 10 have been solo episodes. I say roughly because some of your episodes will feature, you know, little kind of bits and pieces from other people, but about 10 episodes were just yourself. One was with your mom. Um, you did 30 episodes that were mixed. So there was two or more people that were joining you on the podcast. And 120 episodes were with unique individuals. So that means that for the podcast, not including people who've been on multiple times, like myself and a few other piercers have been on several episodes or have featured on individual episodes and as part of groups, you've interviewed 120 different people for the podcast, um, which to think about as a community that's relatively small in a lot of ways, it's kind of cool. Does it feel uh, like it's been that many? Well, no. I, I mean, when, when you say it like that, it's like, oh shit, you know, but like, um, I never, I never thought of it like that. It's just that, um, I think the generation of body piercers who kind of grew into, uh, who blossomed whatever through the APP conference. And then like through the other conferences that that kind of, um, helped to, to inspire and, and, and move along. That generation of piercers, uh, I feel like has a lot of acquaintances and I've just met a lot of people in a lot of places. And um, one of my favorite things about taking trips and going to conferences is just like hearing people's stories, especially if it's like, you know, they struggled to get where they were or they knew some cool, fancy thing that I wanted to learn more about or whatever, you know, so that's kind of why I started the podcast because I, I did realize at one point that I had kind of like an absurd level of access to body piercers and I wanted to share it. Well, that was another thing that I was going to ask you. Do you feel like your position as a piercing educator, as somebody who travels quite a lot, you know, like globally to do lots of conferences and things like that, that must've put you in a really unique position to be doing this because not only are you coming in, into contact with piercers from around the world, which, you know, country to country piercing and um, piercing, you know, I don't, I don't even know what you would call it, piercing philosophy, piercing, how, how people work um, as mm. body piercers changes so much from, you know, different countries and different cultures outside of the UK, outside of the US. That's definitely put you in a unique opportunity to being able to talk to all of these different people um, but on top of that when you go to piercing conferences every year there's a new crop of piercers there's a new generation of piercers going so do you think that that's also helped you try and keep in touch with younger generations of piercers as well as older generations because there's a really broad age spectrum mm -hmm. on the podcast as well like you're, you're interviewing people much older than you and much younger than you as well well Part of that is that, well, okay. So if it's generational for piercers, when I started going to the, the APP conference, not to make it all about conference, but I mean, I, I can't deny that that's a huge impact on my career. Um, when I started going, I was around 21, 22. And a lot of the piercers that I looked up to were around like 30-ish, you know? So I think like when I talk to piercers who are older than me now, it's those piercers that I still knew and admired when I started going and they were like a few years ahead of me. And then I met so many piercers that were within, you know, plus or minus five years of where I was. Uh, and then meeting like the younger groups of people, mostly through like the, the Aldi scholarship process. Like that's how I met and like made contacts with a lot of the younger piercers I know. Um, everybody's just got a really interesting story. And I think that that's kind of part of why I would consider myself to be like a flexible, versatile piercer is like, I've, I've heard the story of like so many different piercers and like how they, how they do what they do. And it, it, it you know, just influenced me a lot, I guess. Yeah. And so going back to having 120 unique guests on the show throughout the life span of the podcast um it's it's interesting when you consider your role as the host because going back to talking about you know self-promotion and you think of the piercing wizard and it's oh that's ryan's podcast that's ryan's show um but i don't think that it's it's unfair to say that in a larger sense it is a community you know effort you know it's a it's something that's been 
produced by the efforts of dozens and dozens of dozens of people within the community in an overall sense contributing to this. So it's not hard to see why it would be archived because it's like you say, it's so many stories and yeah. you're being the conduit for that and you're giving the platform over for that. Um, and admittedly it is yourself. You know, when I say it's a community effort, I don't want to take away from the fact that it is actually you that does all of the work that goes into producing the podcast. But in terms of the, the final product itself, um, it's definitely a community achievement in the sense that in, by archiving it, you're archiving, you know, over 100 different stories from 100 different people, different countries, different communities, different ages, different backgrounds. Um, so in an overall sense, I think it's something you should be really proud of because it exists because of the effort that you've put into it. Um, 200 episodes, you're talking about one to two hours per episode. Uh, one to two hours per episode, you're talking four or five hours of post-production. So that's weeks, if not months, of your life out of the last five years that you've put into producing this. Um, so I think I, I, I did the math once, and it was like a, an entire month out of my life in the last five years. Like 24-7, an entire month is how much it took me to, to make the podcast thus far. Well, I think it's been worth it is what I'm saying. You know, like overall, I think that you've produced something that's definitely record worthy or, or you know, worthy of being archived. Um, I made a note of a couple of kind of key, you know, not key takeaways. I don't want to I don't want to reduce it to that, but a couple of standouts for me in reviewing and going back through the history of the podcast, because obviously I was a listener to the podcast long before, you know, we were dating and all that kind of thing. I was on the podcast, um, I think the first year that I was teaching. Um, so I've been a, a long time listener um, before we go on to maybe talk about some other things. Um, the Dr. Evil case. The FGM case, major landmark issues within the UK piercing community as it relates to the legal system. Um, they were talked about on the podcast. Historically, you know, that's going to be of real significance. Uh, new organizations being developed. Obviously, the UK PP got some early publicity on the podcast. Um, the the uh, Australian APP and the Benelux APP. Uh, and I think there have been some others as well that, that announced on the podcast or announced close to interviews with the podcast. Um, and we're able to use that platform to promote to the wider community what was happening. Um, as much as last year, episode 146, Keeping Piercing Sacred with Kevin Jump. You know, that was a really important episode, I think, at a time when you know, a lot of people uh, were... Oh, sorry. That's, that's one of my most uh, listened to episodes. Yeah, I, I think that that came at a time when there was a lot of, I don't want to say despair, but a lot of despair within the community. Um, I think that came a really good time. Again, that was just an example of, of you know, the platform really shining, I think. Um, but I mean, there's, there's a bunch here I could go on. I kind of don't just want to ramble, but I think that these are a few that are really important if people maybe haven't listened to some of these, you know, a lot of really really big moments for the podcast i think there you must be proud of it i don't really even know how to phrase it like i one way to think of it is like if i didn't try to do something to share just the access that i have and the privileges that i've had i think that would make me a shitty person so it's like people listen to the show so i need to put stuff out there that shows lots of different perspectives um I think a lot of the inspiration of it was like piercers on Facebook, not to always bring it back to piercers on Facebook, but a lot of piercers on Facebook are like, everybody needs to do exactly what I do or else they're a failure kind of thing. You know, like some people phrase it like that. And I, I always really like to say like, Hey, you are just one voice out of many. And like, not to say that your voice isn't valid, but like all of these other people's voices are also very valid. And if you're not going to like seek out their voices, like I'm just going to put it right in your ear because like, I don't know, people listen to the show. So I might as well say something worth listening to sometimes. Well, I think you should be very proud of it. Uh, I, I certainly appreciate when people say appreciative or nice things or whatever, but like as my girlfriend, you know that I do not have a, an easy time accepting compliments. And um, when people do it compliment me, me at, I tend to deflect them a lot. So uh, I'll just blanket say you're welcome, everyone. Yeah, it must be conflicting as well, because, you know, you're 
being thanked for this thing and you are doing the work and putting out this product. But like you say, it's it's the effort of dozens and dozens, you know, 100 plus voices contributing to this, this thing. Do you think that that's where part of that deflection comes from is not wanting to take credit solely for something that you know is the result of lots of different people? Um, yeah, like when I when I talk to people, I'm not handing them a script and I'm not I'm not leading them. I like to think that I've become like a decent interviewer, but I'm not trying to like lead them to something. I'm just trying to get them to say what's in their heart or what's in their head or whatever. Um, I'll totally take praise for all the behind the scenes production work. You know, like I, I found that like the best podcast I can make is like ask somebody on the show who has something worth saying and just get them talking and that, that's it. And then they, they do, they do all that stuff. So to move slightly from talking about the podcast itself and the finished product itself, to pivot, um, to pivot. I was trying not to say pivot because you always say pivot and you're no. the only person I know that does. It's, it's an apt word. It is apt. Um, so to, to redirect slightly, um, Only there was a word that you could say, a single word that would sum that concept up. We're going to segue past um, (laughs) and talk a little bit about um, another side of the podcast. And that's, um, you know, it's something for you to focus on. It's something for you to work on. I know that you're a very work-orientated, project-orientated person, and that's how you manage a lot of, you know, not so much manage stress, but how you divert yourself from stress, divert yourself from being stuck in a rut. You're always having something fresh to work on and fresh to focus your attention on. That's something that's always been really important to you as long as I've known you. And uh, I know that, you know, during the pandemic and um, which is obviously ongoing and particularly during the lockdown of last year that affected you as well, working on the podcast was something of a blessing in that it gave you something to dive into but at the same time um at that point in time I know that you were struggling a little bit as were many people with your mental health and with your personal boundaries I'm not going to obviously go into too much detail about that because I know that that's you know like your own private business but what I can say is that I felt you were very much in a space where Um, you didn't want to open yourself up to as many people, especially not people that you didn't know so well. You didn't want to be putting yourself out there, but you still needed to be producing the show and wanted to be producing it, not just to keep yourself busy, but because of the expectation that you would be doing it. And then through that, we ended up doing more and more podcasts together. Um, And I feel like, you know, that was because it was able to become a a safer space for you to continue creating, but without the added or perceived added risk of having to open yourself up to to as many other people. Do you feel like that's accurate? I almost completely quit doing the show in 2020 because people had these like completely unrealistic expectations of what one human being was capable of. Um, So yeah. I, I like doing them with you because you're like you're you're very sane, but you're also um, very nice to me, and you're very pretty. Well, um, I I think that one of the things that I liked about the podcast before I was part of it and I, I was in any way involved with it was I liked it how easygoing it was to listen to, how you know whatever I was doing at work or if I was traveling, I could just put it on and just listen to a conversation and not feel a great sense of stress from that given everything else that was going on. And I think a lot of people enjoy it for that reason. But what I think it's important to remember is that um, you know, you're a body piercer, you're a person, this is something that you put out there and produce because of a love of the community and you know a love for hearing people's stories and sharing people's stories you have hundreds and hundreds of hours of dialogue here and I think that you do a really really good job of putting out things that will be enjoyable to listen to and important often to historically document but um, I'm sure a lot of people are grateful that you didn't give up producing the podcast and, and you seemingly have come back to it pretty much to to fill strength really like with the conferences that you've been doing you've been generating a lot more new interviews not just talking to me so from my perspective I was just really happy that it became something that we could do together to focus both of our energies to 
continue to put something out there, but do it in a way that felt a little bit smaller, a little bit more comforting, a little bit more safe. I'm sure that there will have been people that have probably been sick listening to the two of us chat together over Zoom, but I just think it's important to put out there that there is a reason for that. And the reason is that, you know, you still go through stuff. I still go through stuff just like other piercers do, Um, which is, you know, why particularly during last year you didn't just keep hitting new interview after new interview after new interview um but i'm really proud of that period that that you were putting out those episodes and that you kept up with the podcast um you know even when there was nothing super exciting or fun to be talking about during covid times and and that kind of thing i think you should still be really proud of that period and i'm proud of the period um and feel really grateful to be included in it with you um, how do you feel like you'll look back on 2020? This might make me, make me sound like, um, like a mark for myself, but, uh, I, I go back and listen to episodes every now and then I don't want to be one of those people where it's like, Oh, I, I would never, you know, it's like, I totally have. And, um, I've listened to a handful of episodes and I think my favorite episodes to just listen to are the ones where you and I just talk. Because like we've had we've had hours and hours of podcast conversations where we just weren't recording anything. We were just talking about work. And like it was just nice because we're both really passionate piercers. And um, uh, I'm really proud of the episodes I did during like, you know, COVID times. Uh, and I think it really documents, if nothing else, my own life and career pretty well during that time, because it was like week to week of like, I'm just trying to figure out how to be a body piercer now. Like I'm, I'm relearning a lot of parts of my own job. And I think a lot of other piercers were in that same spot. So even if they didn't explicitly learn something from what we were talking about, I think it was nice to know that like they weren't the only piercers who were having to figure it out again or, you know, struggle just to get through the year or whatever. I, I think it, the, the biggest reason why I didn't want to stop doing my show during 2020 is that I didn't want those piercers who might literally be alone to ever feel like they were alone. So I, I thought that those were really important episodes for, for me. Yeah. I think, I think that like looking back at last year was definitely some of the most personal episodes that you've produced and made, um, you know, if, if not the most educational and, you know, studio related, though there were still several. I don't know. I just think it's been a really, really mixed couple of years, but um, I I appreciate the consistency in you putting out the podcast. And I think a lot of other people do as well. And, you know, like you say, there will have been a lot of piercers who will literally have been alone. You know, I was alone for several months, like completely alone in like every physical sense um and when the only place you're having interaction with um your work identity which for piercers is a huge part of their identity is facebook things get fucking rough Mm. like i completely fell out of love with with that side of things last year and and haven't really fallen back in love with it and then in a lot of ways I'm, i'm better off withdrawn from it um so in that sense yeah, I think it was a good space for people to be able to just listen to some other voices. But enough of this hilarious chat. <laughs> um, Everybody and, and already then, switched off, so it's okay. Yeah, it's okay. Um, I just, you know, it's the 200th episode, and I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying being retrospective about the the podcast with you. Hey, I um, like it. I don't think of the show in those terms, so it's it's nice to think about it that way, I guess. Yeah. Um, so. Moving on to Ryan Willett Body Piercer. Uh-huh. Um, so your shop, Precision Body Arts, in Nashua, New Hampshire, mm-hmm. has been uh, trading for 21 years. Mm-hmm. 21 years um, as of two days ago, 21 years. It's been through a lot of various transformations during that time. Um did you picture yourself being where you are today, 10 years <laughs> no. ago, 15 years ago? Would, no. you be, would you be happy with your progress? So I don't, I don't know how many people listening to this show will have been piercing for 20 plus years or 10 plus years or whatever. But 
you know, I, I've completely been a different person, like multiple times in my life at this point. And I think all of the best changes I've ever made in my life were just because I wanted to be a better professional. You know, I'm a, I'm a professional piercer. So there's that specific side of it, but you know, when I was a, a teenage piercer in the nineties, I was just some nerdy hot topic goth, you know? And then in my twenties, I was like a 21. I didn't like, when you say that piercers, like that is their identity. Like it's, it's literally that for me, because in my teen years, I had no idea who I was. I was just a sad goth kid trying to figure it out. And then in my twenties, I was like, uh, yeah, I'm a, I guess I'm a piercer. And I guess that's my identity. And then I just doubled down on it and I fell so hard for piercing and the BME community and the APP community conference community anyway, um, that I just wanted to like be the best, like air quotes piercer that I could. And, uh, I chased a lot of, a lot of, um, goals down and learned how to do things to the level that I wanted to be able to do them at. And, over the years to be able to get to some of those goals, you have to learn like ancillary skills. And then just, I guess, somehow along the way, I ended up being like a decent business person. So now I'm like, I'm, I'm like an almost semi fully formed adult human being. And it's, it's because I'm a, a, a body piercer. So um, not a lot of people will probably know this, but a long time ago, you told me that, one of the people who inspired you to be a better business person was Chris Jericho, the wrestler. <laughs> yeah. Um, because Chris Jericho started, has a, has a long running podcast. And um, that was one of the things that inspired you because, you know, you were traveling and you were thinking, well, I, you know, I could travel and interview people. I have the ability to do that. Um, you know, and obviously Chris Jericho also has, other kind of business things going on outside of wrestling. I think um, I'm sure that he has a number of brands and obviously he's in a band and, and all of this stuff that's going on. I know it might sound a little bit silly, but he was a big inspiration to you. Is that not true? Um, Chris Jericho is like my, my business hero because like, yeah, uh, all those things, you know, he, he started out as like some 20 year old, Canadian kid and he's like I want to be the best wrestler I can be so he like he went to Mexico for a couple of years and then Japan for a couple of years and then he started in like WCW and then ECW and WWF and all that stuff and he worked his way up and he made the podcast to just like share kind of like a, a lifestyle brand sort of thing and I was like man I go to like all these different places and I meet all these different piercers. I'm like, yeah, it is a lifestyle brand. It's like, not to say that my show is what all body piercing is, but it definitely puts a spotlight on like a certain lifestyle brand of a certain style of body piercer. And um, Chris Jericho kind of showed me that like you can be successful and you can make money and you can have like serious adult long-term goals, but you can do it like to your own standards and have fun to a level anyway, while you're doing it. So yeah, Chris Jericho, Ayatollah of rock and roller. Well, I think that's really great. And I bring it up because as much as it might be, you know, a little bit silly sounding, it's deadly serious, you know, like Chris Jericho is a legitimate business hero to have, you know, if based only on his success. And I think that people need to have, you know, someone that inspires them or somebody that, that can, inspire them to take a shot at their goals. Um, you know, most people have any number of um, influences that they might look up to that might seem a little bit silly or might not seem perfect. You know, there aren't, there aren't a lot of perfect inspirations and perfect role models out there, but you can take little bits here and there, um, you know, and shape them to, to be what you need to inspire you. You know, like I'm sure I have any number of ridiculous idols um, not to say Chris Jericho is a ridiculous idol, but the point is, I, I just think that it's it's very interesting and very humanizing to know that um, the genesis of the podcast was talk is Jericho in a way. <laughs> yeah, um, it totally was. You know, like, if I ever get the chance to like meet him at a at a meet and greet or something like that, I'm just going to thank him for all the business inspiration and like, yeah, also being a good wrestler. As a professional piercer, that's one side 
that makes up the, the majority of the work that you do. Um, you also do a lot of educational work that surrounds piercing. Um, but there is another side to your career, which is scarification, which is something that you don't talk about as much, you don't promote as much. I know there are a few reasons for that. Um, I've heard you talk in the past about um, events no longer occurring, such as Scar Wars, which would you know, be before my time, something that I'm not familiar with. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about those events? And do you have any desire for events like that to, to have a revival or a resurgence? Or do you think that the piercing community is a bit too sanitized at the moment? What are, what are your thoughts on that? Well, there, there are a lot of different trains of thought that come out of that question. Um, I don't know if I necessarily want to see what someone would try to consider a large event, because I, I think if you say that, oh, there's going to be a scarification event today in the era where we have like all the different educational events that we do, I think people's imaginations would run a little too wild. Um, I would love to see an event where there were maybe five to 10 practitioners with maybe 20 to 50 attendees, like something very small and intimate and more like a symposium kind of thing than like a conference. Um, sure. I would love to see that. Uh, I think it would have to be put on by like the right person. Like Sean Porter was the right person because he was a, he was like a documenter, a facilitator. He, he didn't want to be like, the focus of the event and be like, well, I'm, I'm the best scarification person and I'm going to build an event around myself. He was like, you know, I, I want to show people like what scarification is and can be. And I, it, it scar, scar wars was like a meeting of the minds kind of thing. Like the, the first one, especially a lot of us went there knowing part of what our craft was, but I think scar wars one bringing us all together created like what scarification actually was. We got to share all the information and all like the missing puzzle pieces started to like fall into place for the, for the majority of us, I think. And then the other events were just kind of like honing in on it and just being like, okay, now this is what we can do like together, especially like collaborative pieces were really amazing to see the ScarCon thing that Ron Garza did in London was cool. And then after that, it just kind of, it went off on its own direction. I think so many piercers got into trying scarification that it, it kind of watered the market down where, you know, like the, the really good people who were doing scarification, like almost all of them started out as piercers. So I don't have a problem with piercers branching out into other things. It's that people have to sometimes admit that they have strengths and maybe not everything is their strength. Like I remember in the BME days, I was like, well, I guess, I should just get into like tongue splitting and implants and shit. But like, I, it, it wasn't my strength. It wasn't even my interest. And I was like, why would I want to do this thing that I'm never going to be good at? And I just lucked out being good with scarification. It always instantly felt really natural to me. And I've seen other people where they've tried it, done a couple that are passable, but then they decided that maybe it wasn't for them and, and stepped away from it. And I really respect that because when you just do it to do it, and you know you're not developing and you know you're not really going to get where you want to get and then you just do it for money like that's when i have a problem with people doing it so i don't know if i would want an event where it's like everybody should just come and do whatever they want or everybody should come and take a class and try whatever they want but at the same time nobody there's going to be like a lot of lost knowledge soon because there are no events and like the the app bubble maybe not necessarily all APP members, but like some, some piercers are like such dicks about the concept of like high level body piercers own the entire body modification world. Um, so like they kind of bully and intimidate in a way where it's like, Oh yeah. You know, if you have a scalpel in your shop, you're a hack, you know? And, but at the same time, like they have like implants and tongue splits and stuff, you know? Um, I really like BMX net because that's kind of like, um, we treat everybody the same and it's like, you can either do it or not do it. And it's like, we're going to trust you to like be adult and professional enough to like learn it and try it. And then you make the decision on if you want to continue it or not. So I don't know that I would want to see a large scale scarification event, but I also don't want it to die off. I think when it comes to, you know, body modification in general, like you say, there is that element of, you know, do as we say, not as we do, um, you know, like people will be, 
maybe reluctant to learn these things or reluctant to promote these things or reluctant to share information, but will wear, you know, all of the trappings. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it is kind of a little bit of a, of a contradiction at times. In the UK, it's um, obviously at the moment, not the not the moment for body modification. It's it's pretty much completely illegal here now. Um, you know, based on um, the Doctor Evil case that happened, I I don't think there's anywhere that is publicly offering anything related to body modification. There used to be places that I would recommend um, that people go to, and now it's recommending people to go abroad. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people are having to make trips out of the country to have work done, um, and anyone still offering work is doing so with the very real risk that they could go to jail. Um, but that's, so- that's where it all started anyway. We've just, when, when I got into BME in the late 90s, that was kind of the tail end of like the cutter generation, like through the the eighties into the nineties, like people were doing super intense body mod work, but it was all underground and secret. And you had to know somebody who knew somebody and have a password or whatever shit. Um, and then like for better or worse, BME was like the Pandora's box a body modification. And then like everybody had access to information on anything. And lots of people tried stuff. Lots of that experimentation was reckless. And now we're in a phase where um, some people can't do it because of legal reasons, like because of cases and precedents and all that. But then like in the US, lots of different states have laws now saying like you can't even do anything with a scalpel. So like, don't you dare try whatever mods. Um, So I I would say that like uh, a lot of the body mod scene is also going away as like scarification is, is restricting pretty significantly. Do you think in the future that you would ever want to adopt a role of educating a little further into scarification? You know, at the moment, uh, BMXNet is the only place that you do that. Um, and, you know, at the moment, it's still something that you offer and perform. But as you say, it's, it's, it, it does very much seem like options are dwindling. Um, do you think that there will ever be a point in the future where, where you would um, want to offer um, more help, more advice, uh, more training to people that were looking to offer that work? Or is that not something that you'd be comfortable doing? Because it's, 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 in a, it's entirely, it's not even like a, do I have time? Do I this, do I have interest? Do I have whatever? It's, it's a straight up liability issue. Yeah. Um, if I like to be clear with everyone listening, if they don't already know in New Hampshire, I'm licensed to do scarification. It's legal like the the state department of health says this is legal you have to get licensed for it i have a license for it so that's such a different thing than most of the states that i'm aware of where people in in the us anyway offer scarification perform scarification are unregulated states so like i can't i can't go to another state and train somebody and I I can't train somebody properly without having them break the skin. There's no, there's no amount of pig skin or rubber or whatever that you would be able to practice on and have transferable skills to scarification. Like it has to be on a living, breathing person, whether it's yourself or someone else. And in New Hampshire, I can't legally do that unless that person is my apprentice with a license in New Hampshire. You can only have one light. You can only have one apprentice at a time. Um, so like I, you know, right now I have a body piercing apprentice. So like there's legally, I wouldn't be able to, aside from that, I have no interest in just like training a random person. If it was a financial thing, just to make it even financially viable, let alone something that would like pique my interest, it would be like tens of thousands of dollars because it would be a two year commitment. So in the U S I have zero interest in ever air quotes, training someone. If someone is like, doing safe experimentation, like on themselves or something like that. And they ask me pointers, maybe I would talk to them. But like, again, it's like a thing where if I tell someone, this is how you use a scalpel and then they hurt themselves or they hurt someone else. Like I can't be legally liable for that. And that's just too much risk in, in, you know, if I fly across an ocean and I'm teaching people, I'm, I'm teaching people who are already skilled body art practitioners, people who are already doing 
body mods, suspension, tattooing, piercing, whatever. And they, they want tips and tricks and, or they, they want to just observe me do a scarification. I can, I can be comfortable with that, but I, I have zero interest in training somebody in the U S because I, I can't accept the legal liability. And so do you think that the, the body mod world um, is doomed to, to just, I don't know if doomed's the right word, but is, is going to just go on and on as a kind of wild west gray area type existence where, um, you know, there are so many reasons why you can't just, you know, learn and train an apprentice. And conversely, you know, the majority of body art practitioners, body modification practitioners will learn on themselves, experiment on themselves, maybe their loved ones, and then, you know, perpetually be looked at as, oh, you know, you're a hack, you're taking risks, you're doing things that are dangerous. Is there any way to be a body modification artist that doesn't involve taking risks and in a way danger? So this is an answer that's going to be distasteful or unpalatable to some people, but like every single body modification artist that I know is either self-taught or just like was shown a couple of things. And then it was the rest of it was trial and error. And like they had some like compatible skills where they were, they, they were good at it. They got good at it, but to be 100% honest, every single horrible practitioner and mediocre practitioner is the same thing. There's no such thing as a body art school. There's no such thing as a body art apprenticeship, like a body modification apprenticeship. Like nobody does that. Like at best you get to like watch somebody perform something or maybe assist them. Very rarely would they be like observing you. Uh, very rarely would there be any sort of formal education or follow-ups or like long-term incremental knowledge, all that stuff. So it's like, if you want to do it, you have to be able to monitor yourself. But at the same time, it's, it's, a, it's an inherent conflict of interest. And like a body mod practitioner killed somebody in Australia because they were a body mod practitioner and not a doctor. And it's like, you can't, you can't be naive enough to think like, you know, well, just anybody could do it if they, if they try hard enough. But you also can't be naive enough to think like, somebody can just go and get an apprenticeship to learn how to split a tongue. And then you also, you're completely naive if you think that tongue splitting is going to disappear. So it creates this multi-pronged issue of like, people are going to seek out this work, no matter what people are going to offer that kind of work, no matter what those people can either have access to good information, bad information, partial information, whatever. And it's really up to their dedication, personal morals, personal, professional, whatever, if they develop it to the point where they're any good, if they're safe, who decides what safe is like, it's, it's an impossible question to really give an answer to because it's just my incredibly biased opinion or my incredibly privileged opinion. I don't know. I mean, like there's, there's always been underground body mod and there are, I, I think there always will be. And I, I think that there could realistically be a generation that has to completely rediscover this stuff in another 10 or 20 years because nobody's talking about it publicly hardly anybody's talking about it privately and nobody is really interested in like exposing themselves to any sort of risk in like training somebody or showing somebody, especially in a COVID world. So it's a, it's a sticky situation, you know, there's no, there's no Shannon anymore to like nudge people to, to take like irresponsible, unnecessary risks to, to put it on the internet for better or worse. So I, I don't know. I don't know. Well, I mean, I, I have li limited experience on the topic. You know, it's not something that I've ever offered professionally. I've had, you know, a few procedures done myself over the years where I've had to seek out a body mod practitioner and I've had work go wrong and I've had work corrected and I've had work go great. And at no point have I ever been mad at anyone other than myself. I'm very much a big believer in personal responsibility when it comes to things like safety in this area. I knew 100% that there were risks. I knew 100% that there was danger. Nobody talks about this stuff. And especially they don't talk about it when something goes wrong. So a lot of times if someone is unsafe or if they're a shade of gray, that's closer to unsafe than safe, there's no fucking Google review or Yelp review for body mods. So it's like, yeah, you are taking your own safety in your own hands by putting yourself in someone else's hands sometimes.
And in that respect, it's a huge divergence from piercing as we know it today, which has you know, come on so far and come such a long way that the standards that clients should expect are now um, very, very high as well they should be, which is obviously brilliant for, for studios, particularly for, um, you know, clients who are using things like member locator maps on the, the APP and various sister organization websites. They're able to find studios that are operating at a certain standard. Um, and it, it just seems that as, as that side of the community has gone one way, the other side of the community, um, as it relates to body modification, has become more obscure and, and harder to identify. And there's been a big divergence from 10 years ago, 20 years ago, you know, even 25, 30 years ago. Um, there's been a, a big divergence of those two things. I don't really know what to do with that. It's just an observation. No, I mean, it's a good observation. I would like to, to think that through my career, which started out me piercing in a spare bedroom in my house. My mom let me turn a spare bedroom into like a, a piercing studio when I was like 16. My parents bought me an autoclave for my 18th birthday, I think. And um, at every point in my career, I always liked to think that I was doing it to the best of my ability and to the best of my knowledge level. And if nothing else, that shows that like, you know, for a long time, I just didn't know what I didn't know. I don't think I was making conscious decisions to be like, yeah, I know this is the best thing and I'm just specifically not doing it. And I'm specifically doing something like much like, like I'm specifically doing something unsafe as an alternative, but I'm proud of all the, the advancements I've made, you know, like that. If, if you tried to explain to like 20 year old body piercer, Ryan, and you were explaining to me about like, gold and sterile gloves and statums and disposable piercing and freehand bevel theory, all that stuff. Like I'd be like, all right, I'll just, I'll just quit now because there's no way that I could do that. It would be like a mountain to climb. And I just like, you know, work my way up step-by-step step over 20, whatever years. And um, I'm really proud of those advancements. And I'm really proud when I see other piercers make even small advancements, because I know that like, that's a very important step for them. I think it's really disrespectful when piercers who have already kind of gotten to their end goals dump on people who are still working towards their goals, because it's like, you're supposed to encourage people to get them to their goals and help them. And like, it's, it's unrealistic to think that everyone can start at the same place and that everyone can grow and advance at the same rate. So I always think it's important to just like talk about where you came from, talk about the mistakes you made. And then how you learn from them and how you grew from them and, and share both pieces of information. Don't just say, this is the final chapter and everyone should start there. Like say like, well, this is this was the first chapter and then this was the next one and the next one. Well, I mean, like I think a lot of people who, um, you know, if you're on the receiving end of that type of, of comment from someone that maybe your work, you know, not being what it could just remember that you can scroll back years on Instagram and on Facebook. So just go ahead, scroll back for a few years and you'll see the level that the person who's giving you shit was at five or 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah. It'll really cheer you up. Like it will go, really go to my Facebook page, <laughs> go to my Facebook page and look at the folder of piercing photos. And it's like, you know, and that was just like 10 years ago, a t 10 years before that, it, you, it would have just been like acrylic spikes and external thread jewelry. Well, I know that um, it's obviously a topic that it's, it's not even worth getting me started on is the economics of piercing, but it's definitely sure. a, a sore subject for me. And, sure. um, you know, something that I definitely have a, a chip regarding. Um, and you know, that was um, a big motivating factor for me to teach the class that I did last week. Um, I was lucky enough to get asked to do a class for LBP and um, I wrote them a class about transitioning away from external threaded jewelry, which was a class I really wanted to write for a long time. So super grateful to have been given an opportunity to teach that. And it really felt like it might not be a huge deal for a lot of other piercers that are past that point, but it, it probably made me feel the most helpful that I've felt in a long time. Well, my favorite thing about that class was what it was not. It was not just <laughs> like jazz. <laughs> <laughs> it's the notes you weren't playing, man. No, it's like, um, I think if other people were going to do 
Okay, here's a really perfect example. When I went to LBP, I was asked to teach a class about how to like, you know, make improvements in your shop. And I was so tone deaf at the time, like economically and whatever, um, where I was just like, yeah, sometimes you have to make a decision between buying a second statum and buying more gold. And it was just like the, the most ignorant, dumb shit thing. And your class was like, yes, I think we're all aware at this point that hand polished titanium internal thread or threadless jewelry is going to be worlds better than externally threaded mystery metal. But it wasn't just that it was. And then here is how you, you do it on an economic level. Here's how you actually sell it and plan what you're going to sell. And here's how you actually make a profit and grow a business by transitioning. And I thought that that's going to be so much more helpful than someone just trying to like pat themselves on the back for 90 minutes. But anyway, it's about me, by the way. This is about me. This is my interview. You're right. I'm sorry. Back to you. <laughs> um, so one thing I did want to bring up with you was uh, the APP. You were a board member for the APP some time ago. Yeah, B-O-R-E-D. And, uh, say again? Nothing. Go ahead. And you were fortunate enough to receive a nomination. I didn't nominate you, by the way, not because I don't like you, or because I don't think they'd be any good, but because I knew specifically it wasn't something that you were looking to to do in the immediate future. But you mean this time? Were, yeah, but you yeah. were nominated uh, this time um, by by somebody. Um, Thank you, by the and, way. And and you declined the nomination. Yes, um, I certainly did. <laughs> <laughs> did you have? Did you did you really <laughs> spend a lot of time with no. when you were? <laughs> I actively <laughs> asked people on this show to not nominate me. Um, so, uh, what I've noticed, and I don't know if you've noticed this as well, is there has been a trend uh, that I call like, you know, the declination dance, mm-hmm. the thank you so much. I'm so honored, but this is not the right time. And, you know, and so on and so on. It's, it's very considerate. It's very thoughtful. It's also a subtle form of self-promotion designed. It's to a humble brag. It's definitely a humble nominated. brag. You were nominated. We, we all see it. It's okay. Um, and I, I've been on the, you know, the end of this, when I was on the UK APP board, I had to, you know, notify nominees and, you know, got those declinations as well. So I've been part of the, the declination dance too. And, um, Years ago, you know, like, again, five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, being nominated to be on the board would be, in my opinion, something that you would absolutely want to do. It would be like such an honor. It would be such a huge deal. And I feel there has definitely been a mood shift in the last couple of years where I feel that more and more people are declining and saying, I'm not going to do it, um, specifically because they know how unpleasant it seems because more, first of all, more and more board members and former board members are speaking about what the process is like, which I think is a good thing. Um, and secondly, because there's been a lot more, you know, vitriol for, for lack of a more accurate word, if there is a more accurate word than vitriol, that there's been on the internet, on Facebook, towards organizations that are, are volunteer led and I think a lot of people who have been nominated have witnessed it or maybe been part of it in the past and think oh there's no way I'm doing that I've seen what happens to those people um that that can be a good thing for the organization in one way but in another way do you think that um it's going to be beneficial in the long term for people to know a little bit more about what it's like to be on the board what do you think so okay a a couple of things to basically set up how i can answer that is my perception of board members before i was a board member was like oh those are like those are the grown-up piercers those are the big shots that's the you know the, the people you look up to the trendsetters the whatever you know and Then when I was on the board and I looked back, I saw a lot of it as like, well, shit, this was really just like a side thing. Or even sometimes it was an ego trip for people to accept the nomination and be on the board. And it was like, there was some publicity and glory and, you know, you got a free hotel room at conference and you got a special badge and stuff like that. But the thing about it is like, if you're going to have the balls to say we are 
we are the voice of body piercing in this region or on this planet, you have a responsibility to, to take care of the whole of the community, whether they're members or not. And some people would step up to that challenge and some people would not. Um, and I think as the board progressed and really serious people would come and go and, and make the, the organization stronger, make conference stronger, people saw that like being on the board was like no joke anymore. You know, like when I joined the board, I, I remember floating in a pool with Jeff Saunders at the one LBP conference I went to. And I was like, hey, Jeff, I think I would like to run for the board. And he was like, we'd love to have you. You should totally do it. You'd be great at it. And I remember that as being the worst advice I ever got from a body piercer. Did he follow up by saying gotcha earlier later well, time? You know, it's kind of like it's kind of like um, in the ring where at the end they have to like trick somebody else into watching the tape so that they're not cursed anymore. I think that there's maybe an element of that with the board where they're just like, no, you should totally run because like, I don't want to do this anymore. You can't phone it in anymore with the board, which is massively important information for future generations and like board hopefuls to know is like, yes, if you think you can contribute, even if you want to contribute, if you think you have an important voice or whatever, run absolutely run, put effort into it and like really run and say what you stand for. Um, but don't run because it's cool because I assure you it's not cool. It's not fun. It's not glorious. There are practically no perks other than like maybe somebody picks up your lunch check occasionally. But other than that, it's just like leaving your shop for a weekend, leaving your shop for a week to volunteer your time, to listen to people's arguments and to like push and scratch to try to make one thing a little bit better. And then still everybody out there is going to call you an asshole and say, you're not working hard enough. So it's like, it, it grinds people down. You get amazing experience, but it's extremely hard. So like, don't ever think that it's like a glorious thing. It's not just a volunteer job that takes a significant emotional and mental toll on a person that you should be trained for. As yeah. a piercer, you are not trained for that role at all. Um, it would be like, you know, suddenly having to be like an accountant for the organization. If you're not trained as an accountant, you're not going to know how to do that job properly. So I, I think that there's a lot of growth happening that maybe isn't super visible, that maybe isn't super apparent across various organizations during this period. Well, um, that I think it's ultimately going to be good, but it's, you know, it's just, it's slow and it takes time. It's not fun and it's not, not glamorous, but, you know, communication goes both ways. And hopefully as boards become more open and more communicative, the community will answer back and, and can help, you know, keep a dialogue going. Well, I, I'm, I'm very much on the outside, like looking in when it comes to board stuff these days. Um, but when I was on the inside, like, yeah, I mean, something that people don't talk about a lot is that it wasn't just seven piercers in a room trying to figure out how to fix the world. It would be like board members reaching out to therapists and counselors and lawyers and advocates and all that stuff saying like, I don't know enough about this issue. What do I need to know to be able to like work on this issue or help people with this issue? So when, when you're on the outside of a board and you just see it in terms of like Facebook, Instagram, whatever, you know, outreach type stuff, you probably don't see that like huge portions of the job is just like learning how to do the job and then doing the job. Like people don't start day one as a board member, knowing how to do everything. They just go into it with like motivation and passion and what, you know, hopefully some empathy. And then like, you, you know, you have to, you have to learn what the role is. That's why when all the new board members were coming in for UK APP, it was just like, bless you, sweet summer child. Like, you know, give yourself three months because then you're just gonna, you're going to see how the sausage is made. You know, I think that they're going into a good period. Um, I'm sure that the APP, um, you know, I don't, I don't have any affiliation to, to the APP board or the UKP board anymore either. Um, but I feel like after, you know, 2020 and now coming towards the end of 2021, I feel like, you know, they're coming to the end of a particularly challenging period, hopefully um, a period of, 
a lot of growth and probably quite a lot of stuff actually getting done. Mm-hmm. Um, so hopefully it'll be good. But so what you're saying is you you don't you don't want to accept the nomination. I would rather shave off my beard <laughs> than go back to the board. Um, that's fair. That's very fair. I just thought I would ask you about it, you know, because you've been an APP member for how many years? Uh, really only nine. <laughs> like I, I, I operate it. That, that's the thing is like, Hey, you, Ryan, you've been doing this podcast for five years. And it's like, okay, well, I was only an APP member four years previous to that. And then for like 10 years previous to that, I just straight up didn't meet APP membership standards because I wasn't a hundred percent internal thread or I wasn't this or that, or I didn't have hand syncs where I needed to have hand syncs, you know, blah, blah, blah. So it's like, whatever I have uh, attained now, whatever level I have like worked and pushed and grinded to, to achieve 10 years ago, it was a totally different story. And five years before that, and five years before that. So if anybody out there is listening, thinking that it's it's impossible to get where you want to be, it's not. Just don't stop. Good. Thanks. <laughs> such such an orator. Yeah. How's my interviewing going? It's good. It's good. Do do just another do another like hundred and fifty, and you'll get it down. No problem. Okay. Is so? Is that it? Are we wrapping it up? Or you got more notes? <laughs> Um, I, I, I think I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much out. Let me have a look here and see. Can't make a lot of sense of this. You wrote it. I know. I even use different colors, but now I don't know what the colors are meant to denote. <laughs> um, you, didn't, you didn't make a key? No, I don't know what they mean. Um, but whatever. I don't need, I don't need the notes. Don't need the notes. Um, I I, am very grateful to you for making the podcast and for interviewing me many, many times and for letting me interview you. Um, You know what I really like? I really like, I I went back and I listened to the episodes that we recorded together before we were like romantically involved when you were just like, oh yeah, that Scottish piercer. And like, it's just really cute listening to professional Lola be very professional. Well, this is what I mean. You'll interview literally anyone because I was a fucking nobody. Um, and not much has changed. <laughs> no, that was the year where um, I, I very much remember. I still remember the actual moment where they were like, um, okay, so Ryan and Brian Skelly are going to teach a class together and Lola is going to be in there too. And we were like, all right, like, you know, whatever. Like we, we didn't know who, who you were or what you were capable of. And then like, we introduced, well, yeah, well, I mean, I'm, you know, being truthful, like I didn't know you at the time. I didn't really know anything about you. And, um, you know, I introduced myself, Brian introduced himself, and then you introduced yourself and then immediately just taught the whole class. And it was just like, Brian and I just like glanced at each other. Cause we were there. We were there as training wheels. We were there as like, well, we want, we want to develop our own homegrown teaching talent. But like, we'll put Ryan and Brian in there because like, what could possibly go wrong? And then we were just like, we just sat back and we were just like, really like impressed by how well you did. And I still remember for like, you know, a period of time after that, where you were still convinced that we were just lying to you when we said that you did a really good job. Anyway, stop blushing and wrap up the show. Okay, well, uh, why don't you just tell us one more time uh, where people can find you and what your social media is? Uh, They can find me on all podcast platforms as the Piercing Wizard Podcast. And that's uh, weird because this this is the Piercing Wizard Podcast. Really? I'm going to sue you for trademark infringement. Also, shout out to uh, Aaron Foster, um, previous staff member at my shop, former apprentice of mine who uh, came up with the the name piercing wizard. And it was from when we got our first anodizer in the shop and we were just joking around and we were like zap, you know, like wands and all of that kind of phraseology. And it was just like, Oh, it's like magic. And he was like, yeah, you're like some sort of piercing wizard. And I was like, I'm going to make a t-shirt that says that. And that's where it came from. Good to know. Thanks. Anyway. uh, Thank you for interviewing me and thank you to everyone out there. Uh, 
I wonder if there's anyone who's listened to all 200 episodes. Thank you if you have. That's it. Oh, am I supposed to say something? Because well, yeah, you're the, you're the host. Okay, thank you very much for being on my show um, on episode one of um, the, the, I need a name. The Kaiju, the Piercing Kaiju podcast. Yes, thank you for um, being my first um, guest on episode one of um, the Kaiju Piercing podcast. Um, it's been real. All right. Thanks. For more information about the show, visit piercingwizardpodcast.com or like Piercing Wizard Podcast on Facebook. For more info about your host, visit precisionbodyarts.com or search Ryan PBA on Facebook, Instagram, and Tumblr. If you enjoy the show, you can subscribe on iTunes, Apple Podcast, and Google Play. Music by Benny B. Blanco. Show copyright 2017, Precision Body Arts, LLC. All rights reserved. Okay. Okay. All right. So I'm not going to do anything host-ish. Okay. So you have to direct the whole thing. You have to make me introduce myself or say anything you want me to say. And I'm just going to pretend like this is not my podcast. Okay. It's not. It's not. That's what I'm saying. All right. So I'm going to make it, I'm going to make my dream become a reality and it's not my podcast. Okay. All right. So are you ready? Yeah. All right. You're going to do so good. And go.